Welcome to this episode of TechLink in Conversation. I'm Eddie Grant, a director at Technical Connection. During our conversations, we seek to review the topical bulletins published on TechLink, our knowledge management tool for all things tax, trusts, pensions, and much, much more. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by John Woolley, Managing Director at Technical Connection. Hello, John. How are you? And how's lockdown been for you? Yeah, hello, Eddie. Um, yeah, I'm pretty good, I, I think. And uh, lockdown's been pretty busy, actually. I think uh, I think it's meant that a number of um, our clients have looked at some of the more technical aspects that they need to deal with with their own particular clients. And uh, it's meant that they've come back to us and asked for some information. So it's been a, a busy time. How are you? Brilliant. Yeah, I'm, I'm very good, thank you. I, I've always regarded myself as, as, as very lucky. I have the the house to myself and uh, I've been able to, to just to get on but it's, it's probably like a lot of people very full-on isn't it there's been very little downtime um, and uh, I think uh, be pleased to start to get back seeing uh, the world again. This year's budget seems a long time ago now especially given what the country has been through and indeed the whole world However, for financial planners, it did include an important provision which affects the taxation of encashments of single premium bonds, both UK and international. So, John, what was the change in the budget? Yeah, Eddie, um, what happened in the budget was a bit of a surprise, actually. Uh, The government announced that the tax legislation would be changed so that in future, when calculating top slicing relief on the encashment of a life policy, only the top slice gain would be used in determining somebody's adjusted net income for the purposes of entitlement to the personal allowance. Clearly, this is very relevant where people are in cashing single premium bonds and you're working out any tax liabilities that arise. Now, this can be important because if a taxpayer's adjusted net income exceeds £100,000, as you probably know, they start to lose their personal allowance. And when you get to £125,000, the personal allowance disappears completely. So it can obviously be beneficial to include only the top sliced gain as opposed to the full gain in the top slicing relief calculation. Let's give you an example. Let's assume Boris has got earnings of £80,000 and encashed a bond that he'd owned for seven years, realising a gain of £70,000. Previously, he would have lost his personal allowance in the top slicing calculation. Now, he would be fully entitled to it. Uh, The background to this change was probably um, that it was made as a result of the first tier tax tribunal in a decision called the Mrs. Silver case. And in that case, Mrs. Silver successfully argued that only the top slice gain should be taken into account in the top slicing relief calculation. And when the change was announced in the budget, initially, it was only scheduled to apply to encashments made after the 10th of March 2020. But now the Inland Revenue have quite usefully announced that they will apply this rule for tax years 2018-19 onwards. So that's 2018-19, 2019-20. And they've probably done that to coincide with the time that Mrs. Silver began her legal action in this tax case. That sounds uh, that sounds really positive, John. Um, are there any issues, though, for advisors uh, to bear in mind? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, it, it's not all plain sailing with this. Uh, it, it must be remembered that top slicing is a relief that has to be calculated. That relief is then deducted from the taxpayer's full liability on all of his income. And that includes the full charge of event gain in a particular tax year. And when you're working out the tax liability on all of the taxpayer's income in a tax year, it is the full gain, not the top slice gain, that you include for the purposes of determining the taxpayer's personal allowance. So in other words, to see if the adjusted net income takes them over £100,000. So using the earlier example of Boris, in working out income tax on all of his income in a tax year, he will not get a personal allowance because the full gain causes his adjusted net income to exceed 125000 Whereas in calculating top slicing relief, he will get the full personal allowance because only the top sliced gain is used. So really, the bottom line on all this is that the change will mean that top slicing relief is increased, but the taxpayer may still pay more tax on their total income if the full gain causes the adjusted net income to go over £100,000. So clearly, this is a factor that needs to be very carefully borne in mind before advising a client to encash a bond. That's really interesting, John. Is there anything else uh, the advisor needs to be wary of? Oh, yes, there, there is. Um, the, the UK income tax system has become very complex over the last few years, and there's been the introduction of a number of reliefs, allowances, and indeed zero-rate tax bans. For example, we now have a 0% starting savings rate band of £5,000, and that applies to savings income. We've got a, per, a personal savings allowance, or it's quite often called the PSA, which is £1,000 for a basic rate taxpayer, £500 for a higher rate taxpayer, and, and zero zilch for an additional rate taxpayer. In other words, somebody who's got income of over 150000 And of course, we've also got the dividend tax allowance. You'll all remember that. Started off at £5,000. It's now £2,000. And that is available to taxpayers, irrespective of the rate of tax that they pay. Uh, don't forget as well that the PSA, the personal savings allowance, and the dividend tax allowance are in effect zero rate bands of tax. They're not strictly allowances, they're zero bands. Now, the 2020 budget not only changed the method of calculating top slicing relief, but it also affected the taxpayer's ability to choose the way in which tax allowances and reliefs can be offset against various forms of income in the top slicing calculation. Now, this is important because, of course, it's the taxpayer's um, ability to choose which areas of income to offset these allowance and reliefs against, which will give him the best outcome from a tax perspective. But unfortunately, the 2020 budget and now the Finance Act now provide that the taxpayer must offset these allowances and reliefs against other income in priority to charge event gains in the top slicing calculation. So um, it's probably easier that I, I give you a little example as to how this might work. Um, let's say you've got a taxpayer who's got bank interest and charge of event gains in the same tax year. Well, 
In that particular case, the PSA must first of all be offset against the bank interest in priority to those charged event gains in the top sizing calculation. So let's, for example, say the client has got um, bank interest of £300, top slice charge event gains of £10,000. And let's say he's a high rate taxpayer, so he's entitled to a PSA of £500. In that case, £300 of the PSA will be offset against the bank interest, leaving £200 of the PSA for offset against the charge event gains in the top slicing calculation. Now, this is really important because where the available PSA is offset against the top slice gain, any saving that arises is effectively ramped up over the whole charge event gain. Indeed, it means that the PSA will even produce a tax saving for a taxpayer who is already a high rate taxpayer before the top slice gain is added into the calculation. The way the PSA interacts with tax on charge event gains is one of the very good reasons for always using the six-step approach in calculating tax on charge event gains. So, John, um, six-step approach, how does that work? Well, the six-step approach, as, as it, the name implies, is six steps you go through to work out the impact, basically, of the encashment of this normally a single premium bond has on not only the tax payable, but on the bond encashment, but the tax payable on the client's other income. First, step one, you have to really calculate the total taxable income of the client for that year and the tax that's payable. This involves determining the amount of the personal allowance and the PSA that is available based on the full chargeable event gain. So basically what you're doing there is you're going to add all of the various items of income, add them all together, and that will give you a figure which will determine whether the client gets a personal allowance and the level of PSA he gets. Having done that, you then go to step two, and step two means you calculate tax on the chargeable event gain. So you identify how much tax is payable on the charge event gain. You can do that following step one. And then as a separate calculation, what you do is you deduct the basic rate tax credit. That's the basic rate tax treated as paid on that charge event gain from the total tax bill on the bond. And that will give you the higher or additional rate tax liability on the bond for that tax year. Okay, so where we're up to so far, is we know what the higher additional rate tax liability is on the bond gain. Then you move to step three, and this is where you calculate the top slice gain, and that's normally straightforward, but there are a few little traps there, so be careful. But generally speaking, what you'll do is divide the chargeable event gain by the complete number of years the policy has been in force, and that complete number of years is normally called n it's the n factor so okay so that's what the revenue refer to it as um, so dividing the full charge event gain by n gives you the top sliced gain step four means you now calculate the individual's liability to tax on the top sliced gain now as i said earlier the good news here is that for gains arising in tax year 2018-19 onwards um, the personal allowance 
is recalculated where appropriate by using the top slice gain as part of the adjusted net income. Now, this is different from what we did at step one, because at step one, we included the full charge event gain to determine what the client's adjusted net income was for personal allowance purposes. When we're doing the calculation to determine the high rate tax on the top slice gain, we use the top slice gain as part of adjusted net income to see if he's over the £100,000. Right, having worked out what the higher rate tax is on the top slice gain, you then deduct basic rate tax, which has been treated as paid. You do that for both UK and offshore bonds. And then you multiply the result of that by the N factor. So what you end up is you end up with um, what we call the policyholders relieved liability. In other words, the, the actual tax, the higher rate tax on that top slice gain as then change so that forms part of the higher rate tax on the whole gain using top slicing relief. Then what you do is you go to step five and you deduct the policyholders relieve liability on the on the top slice gain or using the top slice gain principle from the individual's whole liability at step two to give the amount of top slicing relief due. And then finally, having worked out what the top slicing relief is, you move to step six. And here, what you do is you look at the full tax on the charge event gain from step one. And from that, you deduct the top slicing relief. And in the case of a UK policy, the basic rate tax credit. And that will then give you the taxpayer's total net tax liability in that tax year. Now, this step six process is modified slightly for gains from offshore bonds. In particular, you need to undertake two calculations at step two. The second is to determine, help determine the top slicing relief on an offshore bond. Because in general, what will happen is gains on offshore bonds will be taxed before dividend income. But when you determine the top slicing relief, what you do is you put the gains on offshore bonds into the tax calculation after dividend income. That's great, John. Um, I'm sure the listeners will be delighted to know that we go through all these steps in TechLink. So if someone wants to look at uh, uh, an explanation written down, then that's available then for them as well. Um, and, and, and if we think about the, uh, the other issues to be concerned about, what, what other traps are there potentially that advisors need to think about? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good question because there are a number of traps. And one area that is not generally appreciated is that although the charge event gains of both UK bonds and offshore bonds are treated as savings income, they are taxed in a slightly different way. First of all, as you know, Eddie, the charge event gains of offshore bonds are taxed at basic rate tax, currently 20%. This doesn't happen with UK bonds. And secondly, whilst charge event gains on both bonds are both technically treated as savings income, the order of taxation of each is different. And I alluded to this a moment ago. As you all know, savings income is normally taxed before dividend income in the main income tax calculation. However, this is not the case with charge event gains from UK bonds. Because of a special provision in the tax legislation, 
they are always taxed as the top part of income. This means that any charge event gains from um, offshore bonds are taxed before dividend income in the main tax calculation on all income because there's no differential for them. So they're just treated as savings income and savings income is taxed before dividend income. And what this means is when you've got a charge event gain on an offshore bond, this can sometimes cause dividend income that the taxpayer has to be taxed at a higher rate because what you're doing is shoving that charge event gain on the offshore bond into the calculation before the dividend income. For example, if the charge event gains on an offshore bond cause dividend income to be pushed into higher rate tax rather than previously basic rate tax, this will result in an additional tax charge of 25% on the dividend income. And that obviously is quite an important factor to take into account when you're encashing a bond, the impact that encashment will have on the tax charge and other income. But with offshore bonds, it's important to notice that um, when you're doing the top slicing relief calculation, the top slice gains of both the UK and offshore bonds are always taxed as the highest part of income. So this is step four of the process that I mentioned earlier. When you're going to step four, you always use the charge event gain, whether it's a, an offshore bond or a UK bond, that will always come into charge after dividend income. So having worked out the high rate tax on the gain using the top slicing process, this is then deducted from the calculated high rate tax on the full gain in order to ascertain the top slicing relief. So John, um, does, that, uh, does that mean the old quick shortcut route in calculating tax on chargeable event gains still works? Yeah, good question. I mean, that's something that all of us, I think, have used in the past. And uh, basically, under that old shortcut route, first thing you would do is to add the top slice gain to the client's other taxable income. See how much of that falls within high rate tax. Multiply that by 20%. And then to determine the high rate tax on the whole gain, you multiply by the top slicing divider, the N factor, as I mentioned earlier. Now, whilst this might still give you an idea of the amount of tax payable, it will not be as reliable as using the six-step process that I mentioned earlier. And the reasons for this is that, first of all, the, the quick shortcut route doesn't take account of any PSA, personal savings allowance, that will be available to be offset against the top slice gain. Secondly, it will not take account of the extra tax liability that may arise on other income because of the need to include the full charge or event gain at step one. For example, this may mean that there's extra tax payable on dividend income because it's an offshore bond and the offshore bond gain comes now comes into charge before dividend income in the main calculation. Or it may be because when you're doing that main calculation in step one, you're now taking account of a full charge event gain, which could take the taxpayer over 100,000 and cause him to lose some of his personal allowance. So there's two very good reasons to always use the step, the six step approach when you're doing these calculations. And I have to say, we've also seen some anomalous cases, which probably based on their own facts, but where the top slicing relief, 
sorry, the top sliced gain does tip a taxpayer just into higher rate tax. But when you do the full calculation, there's no top slicing relief available. So there are traps out there for the unwary. So um, you should exercise caution in using the shortcut approach. That's really interesting, John. Um, as we come to come to the end of this uh, of this session, um, one of the things we always like to do is uh, leave listeners with some top tips that they can think about. What would you say are the top three or four tips that uh, advisors could do uh, when undertaking these calculations? Well, the first thing I'd say is always use the six-step approach because I think that will give you the, the actual tax liability both on the charge event gain under the bond and any extra liability that arises on other income because of the encashment of the bond. Secondly, uh, remember that the top sliced gain is only used to work out entitlement to the personal allowance when calculating top slicing relief. It's the full charge event gain that's used to work out entitlement to the personal allowance when calculating tax on the full charge event gain. I suppose my third tip would be it's always the full charge event gain you use to see if the client gets a personal savings allowance. And that applies in both the main tax calculation and the calculation of tax on the top slice gain. And I suppose recommendation four is remember that if you're in cashing an offshore bond, the charge event gain on that offshore bond will be taxed before dividend income in the main tax calculation. So it could have some nasty repercussions on the tax liability on those dividends. So I think those are the four key points to remember. And uh, uh, many of the listeners know I'm a, I'm a big fan of Desert Island Discs and this concept of um, if you had your four tips there and 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 uh, the waves came in and, and you could, were only left with one of the tips, I can only assume that the using the six steps is probably the one you, you'd you'd keep yeah i think i think that would be my main recommendation um certainly and, and uh if you if you if you look at the six step approach you can't really go wrong that will give you a very accurate analysis of the tax on the encashment of that bond so i'd always recommend that brilliant thank you so much for your time today uh, john and sharing your insights really appreciate it thank you no problem nice to help thanks a lot i look forward to the next edition of tetlink in conversation please visit tetlink for all the latest bulletins keep well keep safe the content of this recording is strictly for general consideration only no action must be taken or refrained from based on the content alone Professional advice must always be sought. Accordingly, neither Technical Connection Limited nor any of its officers, employees or contractors can take responsibility for any loss occasioned as a result of any such action or inaction.